The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. want to encourage us, as Randy also said, that as a church family, to, to be praying for, for Dave and Lynette. Um, they invested so much into this church and for so many of us into our own individual lives that now we have that opportunity, right, as the family of God to, to pray and support and to care for them as we can. So, so encourage you, as you think of them, to be faithful in praying for them, sending notes and letters and emails of encouragement um, as they, they journey through what God has for them. Let me pray for us as we open God's word this morning. God, we do thank you that we can gather and worship. We thank you for your word. God, we pray now that you would be here, be present, and that you would open our hearts to you, God, and that we would respond in obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the 1990s, Mike Tyson was the heavyweight champion of the world. And as you can imagine, he was an extremely strong guy. And he would win his fights, not because of his superior tactics, but just because he was such a strong and vicious boxer. And then there came a time where he was going to fight a guy by the name of Evander Holyfield, also obviously incredibly strong, but known as much more a tactician, someone who could plan their way into a boxing match to try and get a victory. And so before the fight was to take place, someone was interviewing Mike Tyson and asked him about this, about this plan that Evander Holyfield had to beat him. And I love this quote that he said. He said this, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And you might be thinking this morning, where is he going with this? Well, I don't know about you, but this quote often summarizes how I feel as a parent, right? I had all of these ideas, all of these things in mind, and then this kid came along and I got punched in the mouth. And I was like, oh, Okay, reality hit, right? And you have all of these ideas and suddenly life happens, right? You, you had this plan that your kids were only gonna eat healthy, organic. We're gonna, whole, whole nutrition, they're gonna be the most nutritious kids in the world. The reality is you find yourself in the drive-thru McDonald's again because they will only eat the chicken nuggets and you're like, yes, have as many as you want. I don't care, just eat your food, right? Our kids will never have screen time now you have five devices that you rotate back and forth just to keep them quiet in the back seat during the road trip, right? Our, our kids will always leave the house fully dressed, looking great. They're still wearing their Halloween costume from a month ago. And you're like, you got clothes on? I don't care. Let's go. It hasn't been washed. That's fine, right? We, we have these ideals and then reality hits. And this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible says about a godly home, both as children, the passage addresses that, as well as for those of us who are parents. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open them up to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. We have just a few more weeks to go. 
And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this idea of, of being filled with the Spirit. And one of the characteristics of being filled with the Spirit was carrying on an attitude of submission that God would call us to. And he started then to stop and kind of specifically address relationships where this attitude should take place. And last week, we looked at marriage. And today, we're looking at this relationship in the home of children and their parents. And our outline this morning is simple. We're just going to look at these two kind of categories and think of two keys laid out in this passage to a godly home. So join with me, verse one. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The first key to a godly home are children who obey and honor. Children who are characterized by obedience and honor to their Parents. Again, this falls into this category of submissive relationships, and it starts with the first one. So children, you are under the authority of your parents, and you are to submit. You are to obey to what they would say. Now, the category, the word here is children, which could be used to describe anyone who has parents, but in the context here is specifically referring to those who are young and still living at home, right? If you're wondering where your next meal would come from, if your parents said you can't sleep here tonight and you don't know where else to go, this probably applies to you, right? Children. And what is the command here to children? It's one word. It's simple. It's obey. Notice this command is we, if you, especially if you hear last week, this command is stronger than the word last week. We talked about how submission does not mean blind obedience. If Paul wanted, he could have said in verse 22, obey, but he didn't. He said, carry on an attitude of submission. Here he means your submission is characterized children as obedience. That is what it always looks like. Obedience to your parents. And so since the Bible says this, children, you are called to obey. To think about this, let's ask the the kids' favorite question whenever they are told to do anything. Why? Why? Why are your children called to obey? What, what are the motivations for kids to obey their parents? Well, Paul quickly walks through three motivations that children should have to obey their parents. Verse one, the first off, obey your parents in the Lord. O- obey your parents because this is what Jesus calls you to do. This is what following Jesus looks like in this season of your life, that you are following Jesus by doing this. Notice the similarities to chapter 5, verse 22, where it says, submit as to the Lord. In chapter 6, verse 5, which we're going to be at next week and talking about this relationship between servants and their masters, it says in verse 5, as you would Christ. Obedience to parents is a way of ch- for children of serving Jesus. So the first motivation is because it is what God calls us to do. Secondly, simply, for this is right. For this is right. It is fitting. It is the way it should be how God has structured the home. He has given parents the authority over their children. And children, it is right. It is proper that you would obey your parents. And then the third command, the third, excuse me, motivation is here is found in this command, which he pulls out of the Old Testament. This is one of the 10 commandments. This is found in Exodus 20 or in Deuteronomy 5. They are restated. And this command here, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment that has a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, right? This third motivation for obedience to children is that by doing so, it will go well with you. 
right? The foundation of a life pleasing to God, a spirit-filled life, the foundation, if you are a child, if you are under your parents' authority, is of obedience to them. Obeying your parents sets you up for the life that God wants you to have, right? Some of you are like, can we pray this again when my kids are present, please? Can we go get them out of the kids' ministry, right? But, but obedience to our parents for children is fundamental to the life that God calls us to. And, and if you're a child here who's watching either inside or outside or online this morning, I want to remind you that there's this shocking truth that sometimes never occurs to you. And that is that sometimes your parents actually do know what they are talking about. As uncool and as unhip as your parents are, they actually do have wisdom and God has placed them as an authority over your life and you are wise. You would do well to walk in obedience to them. Right? This command was given to the people of Israel just as they were about to enter into this promised land. And it, get, get this, that it was significant enough that when God gave these 10 commandments that he highlighted obedience as one of the significant things that will help them feel this blessing in this place to which God was going to bring his people. So this first is, is children who obey. And then secondly is children who honor, right? Verse two, honor your father and mother. Now this is a broad command. And this is true for all of us as long as we live and we have parents also who are living. This obedience is not more specific as a younger age, but this honoring of our parents is true for any of us today who have parents who are still alive, right? As we enter adulthood, our relationship with our parents changes, but it does not go away. And it should shift from this attitude of obedience when we're young. We obey our parents as we are adults now that we learn what it looks like to honor, to honor the parents that God has placed in our lives. So how as grown adults, how as adults do we honor our parents? How do we honor them? A few things came to mind, not meant to be exhaustive, but a few helpful points, I think. One way to honor our parents, even when we are adults, is to seek out their wisdom and input. To seek out their wisdom and input. You know how good it makes you feel when someone comes to you and is like, hey, I need, I, I, I want to know what you think about this. I want to hear your perspective on that. You know, like everyone loves like, oh, I'm so wise. They came and asked, like, it, it makes you feel valued and included. One of the ways that we can honor our parents is that we look for their wisdom. We look for their input into our lives. Now, it doesn't mean, since we are not bound to obedience as little, it doesn't mean that whatever they tell you is what you have to now do. But I have found in my life that so often is the case that because they love me and they have this unique relationship with me, I'm blessed to have two godly parents. Because they love me and have this relationship with me that more often than not, I need to hear something that they have to share with me. And I am better off for it. And so we can seek out their wisdom and input when facing circumstances and situations in life. A second way that we can honor our parents is to include them in our lives and the lives of our kids. If God has blessed us with kids, include them in our lives and in the lives of our kids. Your primary commitment, as we looked at last week in that passage from Genesis, where we leave our father and mother and become one as husband and wife, our primary commitment is, is to our spouse, but that doesn't mean we neglect or we reject our parents entirely. No, they are still a part of our family and a part of our lives. Now, this does not mean that we have no boundaries in place. Boundaries are a good thing. 
right? It doesn't mean that we don't do what is best for our family, but it means that if we can, we include them just as a part of our family and of our life. A third way that as adults, we can honor our parents is to care for them as they age, to care for our parents as they age. And this is challenging and difficult to do, right? It is hard to parent our parents, isn't it? It's hard to parent our parents. This is a journey that many in our church family, as I've been here, have been talking to and are going through. And I know this is a situation in life that is stressful, it's difficult, and it's often thankless, right? It can be frustrating as maybe you look at one of your siblings or all of your siblings, like, why is no one else doing anything? And I'm asked to do everything. I just want to remind you this morning that especially for those of you who are going through this right now, that God will honor you for honoring your parents. And your other family may not see it. Other people may not know that the difficulty and the stress that it has on your life as you seek to honor your parents as they are older in age. But God honors us as children when we honor our parents, that it may go well with you. And so be encouraged that even if no one sees all of the work that you are doing, all the care you're providing, God sees it. He knows and he honors you because of it. What would have been quite, I think, surprising to this church, this church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago almost when this book was written, this isn't necessarily these commands, but that Paul, in this letter that he writes of what the Christian life should look like, would take time to specifically call out and address children. In this gathering of a church where this letter would have been read, that Paul has specific instructions for children. Because in this time, in this culture, children were looked down on. They were kind of off to the side. If you may remember in Matthew chapter 19, we see this when the disciples, it says in verse 13 to 14, children were brought to him, that being Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For, such, for to such, excuse me, belong the kingdom of heaven. See, the reason that they are specifically addressed, children in this passage, is that kids, just as they are, matter to God. Kids, just as they are, kids matter to God. And they are called out to live a certain way because they are members of the faith family and, they, and their obedience is significant. They matter to God. One of my pet peeves was, especially I heard this often when I served as a youth pastor, was people would come to me, and they meant well by saying it, but they would say something like, teenagers, the work you're doing is important because teenagers, kids, they're the future of the church. Now, I think they were doing it with good intentions, and I understand like what they're saying, but I think it rubbed me the wrong way because so often we say this and we mean that like one day when they become an actual part of it, they'll be, they'll be important. Right? So I lived in Chicago for 20 years. They, the Cubs were awful almost the whole time. They did win one World Series. It took them 100-something years, right? But they always would say, well, there's next year, and we're going to be good in the future. The Cubs, like, they're never good now, but in the future, we'll be good. In the future, which they were saying, well, we have minor league. We have young players that when they become major leaguers, when they really mature and become major leaguers, then they'll be full part of our team. And sometimes in the church, we treat kids the same way. That they're like this side thing that someday when you turn 18 or you turn 21, now you're a real part of our church. The Bible has none of that. 
Children just as they are matter to God. Children just as they are, are a part of the church. And since kids matter to God, kids matter to church as well. And I want to let you know as parents that we as a church are committed to doing all we can to partner with you as parents as you seek to raise kids who love Jesus. By God's grace, we always will be. I don't know if you realize this, but if you look at our staff, literally half of our staff is focused just on serving kids, on on kids and youth here at our church. We are focused on helping to do all that we can. Why are we so focused that we staff half of our staff for that? Because we believe that kids matter to God. And if you're a child, a, a kid here this morning, I want you to understand that Jesus wants you to do this out of obedience to him. That you, your life doesn't just start to count when you get older, but how you live your life now as a child is a matter of obedience to God. And he wants you, even as a young child, even as children, as teenagers, to obey and to follow him in doing so by obeying your parents. Verse four says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The second key to a godly home are parents who know their significance and responsibility. Parents who know their significance and their responsibility. Now, he specifically here in verse four addresses fathers, because in the ancient world, fathers were seen as the seat of authority in that time. Right? There were no limits on what a father could do in his family and to his children at that time. Right? He could treat them however he wanted with zero legal repercussions allowed. Right? There were no child safety laws in the ancient world. It was whatever the dad wanted, that's what happened. Right? And so he specifically here addresses fathers because they were seen as this seat of authority. And I think in our time, yes, these instructions certainly do apply to fathers, but I think they can easily apply to mothers as well, to all parents. There's wisdom here in what this verse has to say. And he gives two commands, a negative one and a positive one, right? So let's start by looking at the negative command. The negative command in verse four, do not provoke your children to anger. Or some translations say, do not exasperate your children, right? This is a a unique word. It's only used here and in Romans 10, 19 to talk about this anger that can well up. And Paul's already talked about this danger of allowing anger to take root in our hearts and in our lives. Remember in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, he said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, Right? Anger, as it lives in our lives, actually opens up and gives the devil opportunities in our lives. And he's saying, as parents, make sure that doesn't happen in how you parent your kids. Do all you can to make sure. And what he's saying is you have been given authority by God over your children. Use it for good. God has given you authority. His call is to use it for good. The world was filled with unreasonable demands, severe punishments handed out by parents, especially dads, towards their kids. And he said, that's not to characterize the Christian home, but it should look different. It should be so thoughtful and intentional that it should not characterize the way that we do it. Now, this is hard. This is hard for some of us, especially, I think, because as I've talked to a lot in our church family, and it's just the sad reality is there's a lot of us who grew up in homes and families where one or maybe both parents did this to us. 
they pushed us into anger through their parenting. And we, we don't have necessarily lots of positive role models in our lives as to what to, a parent should look like. And I just wanna encourage you this morning that where your earthly parents fell short, because all of our parents fell short somewhere, just as as parents, all of us fall short as well. Where your earthly parents fell short, look to your heavenly father for what it looks like. Where your earthly parents made mistakes and messed up, look to your heavenly father for what a perfect father, a perfect parent would do. And if we grew up in homes and environments where this happened to us, where the parenting was so severe that it just cultivated this anger within our hearts, if this happened to us, really we have two options, right? We can either repeat it or we can break the cycle. And here's the thing, one is a lot easier to do than the other one. Right? It's really easy just to repeat the cycle and do what was done to us. But what God calls us to, even if we didn't have the models, even if it was put on us when we were being raised, is to parent differently, to do it how Jesus calls us to, to break those cycles maybe that have been passed on for generations within our family. So that's the negative command. Then he turns to the positive command. All right, the second half of verse four, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This idea of this word, bring them up, that's the same word that was used in 529 of nurture. Nurture them, grow them, develop, develop them in a very way, in what? In two ways, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This word discipline, some translations say the training of the Lord. It's this thoughtful, intentional purpose that we should have as parents towards our kids. Now, here's the thing. Our discipline or our training of our kids is largely dependent upon what the goal we are searching for is, right? We don't know what discipline or training we should be using if we don't know what the goal is as parents. So when I was younger and a little bit crazier, I decided that it would be a fun thing to run marathons, I don't know why that long distance, I should, but marathons. And so, so I had a race that I was doing, and I had a goal time. A little under nine minutes a mile. It's pretty, pretty fast for that long of a distance, at least for me it is. And so I set up a plan, disciplines, training. So literally it was an 18-week plan where every day, Every mile had a pace associated with it. Rest days, this many days, this many miles, like exactly down to every single mile was documented. And I followed it exactly right for all the months. And guess what? It worked. Because it was set up with a, my goal would have been to run a mile as fast as I could have. My disciplines, my training would have looked different. I also would have had to run a lot less. I probably should have focused on running a mile than a marathon, but that's, I guess, hindsight, right? So here's the thing. Your, your goal helps you inform the disciplines and your training that you're doing. So the question we should ask as those of us who are parents is this, what is your goal in raising your child? What is our goal in raising children? What is the end outcome? What are we looking forward to when we think of the end? See, some may look at our lives and we may not have thought of this, but some of us act like our goal for our kids is that they be professional athletes or at the very least get a full ride scholarship to college. Now, there is nothing wrong with full ride scholarships to college because of athletics. That is a gift from God. But our goal as parents is not that. 
get this, our goal as parents, as Christian parents, is not even that our kids be well-behaved and moral. Our goal as Christian parents is that our kids would love Jesus. That's the goal. As Christian parents is that our kids love Jesus. Jesus. And there can be other things that happen along the way as God wired them and that they grow into. But as we parent, as Christian parents, that is the goal. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is our discipline and as we train kids is are we parenting today to help our kids love Jesus in the future? Is our parenting today helping them love Jesus more tomorrow? See, so many parents get distracted from this goal of what God has called us to as Christian parents, to raise kids who love Jesus, right? I have seen it so many times, and it's so sad, as as parents would come to me, and they're so shocked and surprised that their child no longer wants to come to church, no longer wants anything to do with Christianity, and they say, oh, and I just had to come to you to, to, to ask you what to do. I said, well, you should have been coming for a lot longer because I never see you here at church, I never see you anywhere. Why? Because the goal has gotten out of line and things have become misbalanced in their lives. Fuller Theological Seminary has done a lot of studies on Christianity and teenagers' faith going into adulthood. And they specifically looked at best practices. What are the the faith practices of kids who stick with church, who still follow Jesus into adulthood? And they found that the best indicator not 100%, not the silver bullet, there's always exceptions, but the best indicator if a kid stays with their faith into adulthood is that they go to church. Not that they go to Christian club at school, not that they go to a Bible study, not that they go to youth group. We have great, go, go to that. Nothing is wrong with that by any means, but that they go to church. They worship together with their families on the weekend. See, to a family where church is optional, a child will grow up thinking often that Jesus is optional. If church is optional, then Jesus is optional. And as parents, we need to remember, what is our goal? What has God called us to? It's to love this child, to raise them up in a way that they will hopefully one day love Jesus. And with that goal in mind, we then put into our families, into our lives, the disciplines, the training that will hopefully best lead to that outcome. So he says first in the discipline, but then secondly, into the instruction of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. Now, if you're like holding your breath here and you're like, oh no, what does this mean? I just want to assure you of this. The instruction of the Lord does not mean that what the Bible is requiring you to do is to sit down and do 30 minute devotionals over dinner with the Bibles open, your kids take notes and they all sit still the entire time. That is not what it means. You can all breathe a sigh of relief, right? And if that is true in your family, come talk to me because I want to know how the world you do that. That's amazing. What he means by instruction is that your faith, Jesus, is just a regular part of your home. He just quoted in the verse before from Deuteronomy 5. So I can imagine here that Paul is likely thinking of the next chapter in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, which says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command of you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You'll talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
See, what the Bible is reinforcing, what, what scripture teaches throughout is that the family is the primary place of discipleship. The home is the primary place of discipleship in the life of a child. Church is great, and we have amazing programs for kids. But if you think that in one or two hours, a church program, as great as they are, could undo everything that happens at home in the well over 100 hours a week that they're at home, you're crazy. We're not that good. Parents are the biggest influence in the life of their kids' faith. Right now, when we think of this instruction, it's not necessarily we sit down. It's not that we teach our kids a class or we make them go through a Bible study. There's nothing wrong with that. But so often Christianity is more caught than it is taught. And the biggest instruction to your kids on what it looks like to be a Christian is your life. That's the biggest model. What does a Christian look like? Well, it's whatever you look like. The National Study of Youth and Religion is the the longest and largest study ever done tracking kids and their faith into adulthood. And when they started to look at kids who follow Jesus, and then they looked at their parents, they kind of came up with this phrase to describe the religious behaviors of kids later in life into adulthood to how their parents were. And they say this, as parents, you get what you are. The best indication is you get what you're not 100%, of course, but what they're saying is the most likely outcome is that your kid in their 30s, 40s, and 50s will have the same religious beliefs, actions, and behaviors as you do, as you do. So the question for us as parents is this, are we the type of Christians we want our kids to be? Are we the type of Christians that we want our kids to be? Do we hope that when our kids are our age, that they reflect our behaviors, that they love Jesus like how we do. It's the best thing for some of us that we can do for our kids' future is to walk with Jesus today, that we would grow, that we would have the kind of faith that we want our kids to emulate because they're watching. They're picking up on our lives each and every day. For those of us who are parents today, I think this passage to me is a reminder that this is the primary ministry to what God has called us to. Not being an usher, not a Bible study leader, not working with kids or in a youth group, not leading anything else, but the primary ministry that God has called you to if you're a parent is to serve and to raise your kids. That is the primary ministry that he has given to you. I think the significance of it is often understated, but God has given us that responsibility. I think... In thinking of the significance to what he's called us to, I've always been reminded of a quote by a pastor. His name is Andy Stanley. It stuck with me for years. He said this, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. That may be the best thing, the greatest thing that any of us ever do for God's kingdom. Not some action, not some way we serve, but how we parent and who we raise. This is a huge responsibility, isn't it? For those of us who are parents, I think we feel it oftentimes, right? A huge responsibility that God has called us to. But here's where you can take rest. God knew who your kids were gonna be. God knew and God gave them to you. What that means is because God knew and because God gave your kids to you that he will empower you. He will equip you. He will give you the wisdom. He will give you the strength. He will give you the patience that God gave the kids to you, that he can use you 
to point them to Jesus. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of prayer. It's a lot of faith. But my prayer is, as this passage calls us to, that we would see children as a full part of the family of God and wanting to walk with him. That as parents, we would understand the significance of what it means to raise kids towards the goal of loving Jesus and understand the responsibility that God has given every one of us, that where he's placed us in our families, that's our primary area of ministry and that we are the biggest influence on our kids' faith for the future. God, we thank you. We thank you that we don't walk through this journey of life alone because it is difficult and is filled with trials and tribulations. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us through every season of life. And God, as we've talked this morning about parenting, I pray specifically for parents this morning who are frustrated, discouraged, who are going through a difficult time. God, today, would you remind us of your love? God, would you remind us of the goal that we have, that our kids would love Jesus? God, we commit our kids to you. May that be true by the power of the gospel and your grace at work in their lives, that they would love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.